Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. Beyond the Mask is also sponsored by crnaeducation.com. CRNAs, you can get the CE credits you need by just going to crnaeducation.com. They have over 100 AANA prior approved credits, all four core CPC modules, and even over 40 pharmacology credits. No subscriptions. It's all online and mobile friendly. Just go to crnaeducation.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out our CE credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon, how are you this morning? I have, but you know, yesterday was quite the day after we finished podcast taping, working, us presenting in the afternoon. Yeah. What does any CRNA worth their salt do? Oh, they go out to a foundation event have a few drinks well we went to the bar in between that right (laughs) so started happy hour and went to the foundation event and tracy castleman lost her phone so we had to wait until the people in the bar cleared out we could see that it was pinging somewhere in the bar (laughs) so telling everybody to be quiet to try and ping her phone and then we found out that it was in somebody else's bag Uh, it was in bruce weiner's bag and he didn't even have his bag jenny anderson and aaron foley had it in their room so then the phone starts it it was just crazy so we had a long night and then we had to get up early this morning get up early this morning to be at another lecture yeah another podcast Now we're podcasting again. So. I know, right? Well, we got a great one lined oh, up this morning. Oh, my goodness, I'm don't excited we? about this one. And he's so. got a great name, too. Yeah, Brett. Yeah, Brett. My Brett. oldest son's name is Brett. Uh, yeah. Spelled exactly like this, too. Yeah, yeah. So we have Brett Maxfield with us today. Welcome to the show, Brett. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, awesome. We were getting to know each other a little better uh, prior to here, but why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners who might not know about you or your background? Sure. No, I'd love to. So, like you said, my name is Brett Maxfield. Uh, I've been a CRNA since 2009. I went through the University of Michigan program. I uh, loved it there. Great program. I had a lot of uh, opportunities for non-traditional learning, which was really, really great. Who was your program director then? At the time, it was Lynn LeBeck. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, she was great. Didn't realize how great she was until after, you know, as, sure, is, sure. as is always the case. Well, yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Henry Talley was the director there. Henry was at, the Michigan State director. Okay. Yeah, I've so got he the was there. He started as we got going. Yeah. So okay. Also, phenomenal CRNA. Great guy to work with. So. Don't ever tell Wolverine uh, about a smart oh guy. Okay. <laughs> you know so what? Until they got the program up and going, we had a split door. Half was green, half was maize uh, blue. So, uh, okay. so yeah, it was, it was cool. all good. So it was, 
that was a lot of fun out there. But yeah, no, I had a great, great experience out there. A lot of opportunities to uh, learn and grow. You know, it was when uh, regional anesthesia was first at the forefront. And so uh, I knew, uh, I'm originally from out west, Rocky Mountain area, so southeast Idaho. And so I knew I wanted to go back there. And so I, I really looked for opportunities to practice the, the regional anesthesia, do things where, you know, I knew I was going to be rural, independent, things like that. So I sought out those opportunities. And luckily, Michigan was a program that was great for offering those things. So I had a lot of great exposure there. But, but yeah, I've been, a, like I said, CRNA since 2009, did uh, clinical anesthesia for quite a while. Then in 2015, I transitioned out of uh, clinical anesthesia and started with some consulting. Uh, originally started just uh, with some office-based anesthesia setups, formed a small staffing company to kind of cover those offices that we were setting up. And then uh, eventually through word of mouth and thanks to uh, you know, the different anesthesia Facebook pages, I actually um, had a chance to kind of grow to a national brand. And then as of uh, this year, actually, we're now an international brand. So do a lot of fun things uh, under the Healthcare Solutions banner. We do consulting, so uh, same thing that we've done before, you know, as far as setting up office-based anesthesia uh, practices. They've expanded to helping build, design, grow, uh, and, and staff uh, actual ambulatory surgery centers now as well, all the way to, uh, we're currently building one. We're, we're building seven right now, largest of which uh, being, it'll be a 5 OR, 40,000 square foot, uh, small surgical hospital. Oh. And so that's been been a lot of fun. Kind of yeah. transitioning to that but got a lot on your plate yeah no it's yeah. great we do a couple different things do that do uh oh we help with supply chain uh help the crnas get uh, all their disposable supplies they need for those practices uh help with equipment uh, new and refurbished equipment uh then we go out and help train so we get the offices prepped make sure they're safe to do uh, anesthesia you know train the staff i had an incident when i was uh, working in an oral surgeon's office we had a patient not going to would have been lucky. I've been in there for about 15 years. We've never, ever had a, a laryngospasm. Never, ever have intubated a patient, interestingly enough. So everything open airway. Uh, but somewhere around the neighborhood of 20,000 patients that have gone through that office without ever being intubated. But had one that was kind of trending towards that laryngospasm and turned to one of the dental assistants and said, hey, go grab me the, the sucks out of the fridge, you know, just in case we need it. She came back and handed me a yank hour suction. I went, oh, <laughs> teaching is needed here. So, yeah. so that's where the teaching branch of the... Uh, healthcare right. solutions banner gotcha. came from was education for staff, you know, how to be safe, things there. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so we do that. Um, in addition to that, I'm a surveyor for Quad ASF. So I, I get to participate in a, a facility accreditation. And uh, um, yeah. 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 A little bit going on. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be talking about today owning and operating an office based practice or surgery center. Um, and assuming we're talking about CRNAs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's kind of dive into that. You know, how did you get started doing this? Sure. Well, cool, cool story. Uh, first off, just kind of before we get down that track, Quad A, um, and, and I speak to them because I know them best, has actually um, changed their 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 statutes, if you will, to where CRNAs are now allowed to be a facility director which is a big deal. Uh, historically, that's always been MD or DO only. Right. And so when they changed that, that really opened a lot of opportunities for us. And, and you know, when did they change that? Uh, it's been a few years ago. It, they changed it and mm -hmm. then they reverted it and then they changed it back. And so um, I, I believe the original issue was that CMS didn't change their guidelines. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a CMS deemed facility, it still has to be a, an MD or DO right. as far as the facility director goes. Gotcha. The medical director does still, in all cases, have to be uh, an MD or DO. But as of a couple of years ago, a CRNA can be a facility director. So I actually took over a facility in 2018, partnered with a plastic surgeon originally, which is a plastic surgery center, joined him as a joint owner, 
got it up and going. And then we've expanded to where now that's a multi-specialty center. And so, so that's kind of my background personally of, of what I did there. But yeah, they, uh, uh, the way that kind of got started kind of back, if you go back a few years prior to that, I'd actually been doing a lot of office-based anesthesia. And so that's how I got the start, um, doing a lot of dental, uh, working with plastics, a little bit of general surgery, things like that, just small in-office stuff. Some contracts that I'd found on my own, others that partners had kind of passed on to me as they no longer wanted to do the, the side hustle. And so that grew to where at one point I was doing about eight offices in addition to working in the hospital. So keeping busy, um, you'll notice a trend as we talk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am. I get yes. bored easily. <laughs> so uh, that kind of continued to grow. And then I uh, oh, I had some health issues uh, that kind of necessitated me stepping back from the, the bedside for a while. So at that point, uh, I got some colleagues involved, started a small staffing group and uh, still had offices reaching out to me, though, wanting to get going. And so we... Uh, um, from that point forward, I, I kind of started helping set up some of these offices, you know, going in, making sure that they had everything in there to meet the, the minimum criteria for, for safe sedation. Uh, you know, we followed the ANA guidelines as far as what was required in the office. And it's about the same time that the uh, ADA came out with their guidelines stating that anybody that had sedation had to have an ETCO2 monitor, which is great. That really backed up our, our case. So anyway, started with a little a little bit locally and then uh, had someone from the, uh, the Northeast reach out to me, asking me to help set up some offices there went out and set up about another eight offices in the Northeast and it kind of just took off from there. So that grew and, and expanded to, which I'm finding a lot with my clients as well, that same thing, you know, it, if you build it, they will come type thing, you know, yeah. they start. So, well, let's go back for just a minute because you sure. scammed right over something that I found absolutely, <laughs> utterly fascinating. I mean, uh, necessity is the mother of invention and you went down this path because of something that happened to you that you shared with us right before we started taping. So what happened to you at the young age of 32? <laughs> well, actually, it's, it's kind of a, a life-changing type event for me. But um, So I'd always you know, wanted to do anesthesia. I actually, interestingly enough, decided that I wanted to do anesthesia. I, I uh, job shadowed a CRNA when I was in eighth grade. Wow. So, yeah, wow. so that's when I decided. So you I figured out even sooner than I did. Oh, it was great. You know, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew it kind of guided me through life. You know, I graduated high school uh, with an associate's degree from the local university and just hopped right in. So I had my nursing degree in nine months and I had a bachelor's degree shortly thereafter because I knew what I wanted to do. Just, just went mm -hmm. head first. So I'd always wanted to do anesthesia and then uh, had a great group that I was part of. Um, I, I managed to work my way back across the country via Montana and Michigan back to Southeast Idaho into a group that was in the top 1% in the nation and just really wonderful to work with. And uh, one of my good friends and partners, unfortunately, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so uh, we all, um, it was a collaborative environment where each one of us took our own room and very, very busy practice in the top 1% of practices. Um, quite literally, CRNAs were generating somewhere in the six to $700,000 uh, each revenue for wow. the facility. So I mean, big, busy, busy practice, yeah. great payer mix. But um, anyway, my partner was diagnosed with a brain tumor and had to step down. And uh, I stepped in to try to cover for him and ended up work, just working crazy hours for about three, three to six months. And so, uh, you know, I was doing anywhere from 80 to 110 hours a week. It was one of those where I'd work until 11 o'clock, um, go sleep for three, four hours, get up, be back in the operating room at five and do the same thing again the next day, uh, five to six days a week. And unfortunately, that's not sustainable. And so uh, fast forward, I took a week off to go uh, uh, on a trip to uh, Los Angeles. I actually flew into Las Vegas, drove to Los Angeles, spent some time, came back. And uh, my wife and I were in Vegas, and we were supposed to go to a Tim McGraw Faith Hill concert, actually. Oh, man. But, uh, 
Um, my wife's a cardiac nurse, and she looked at me and just said, hey, you look terrible. I said, I don't feel real good. She goes, you look like you're having a heart attack. I said, I'm 32. I'm not having a heart attack. I was wrong. She was right. So, oh, uh, Lord. How she, did that feel coming out of your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> I say it a lot. <laughs> I have to admit that one constantly. We've got children I've been wrong for like 17 years now. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we, um, oh, I woke up the next morning and she's pretty mad at me. She told me, you know, we just called the ambulance a bunch of times last night, but kind of just brushed it off and uh, went in and I was having some additional health problems from it. I actually ended up going into multi-system organ failure. So, you know, kind of everything oh started shutting down Jeez. one by 32 one. years old. Yeah, I stress. mean, you look like you're in great shape. I'm sure you didn't look well, any different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't, didn't look any different then. Yeah. I, you know, I, I gained some weight through school and things like that. So I, I was heavier than I should have been. And just honestly stress like that's a yeah. big takeaway from that one is be careful as a CRNA because stress will do insane mm. things to you. So, you know, we, checked everything out, uh, heart cath was clear, all that kind of stuff. It was all just stress-induced uh, heart attack. But yeah, I had the remodeling and everything with it. So the interesting thing was with the, the organ failure, I had developed kind of what appeared to be narcolepsy at first. So mm-hmm. I my license was restricted at that point because I would periodically just check out. And I, I didn't know, I couldn't predict when that was going to happen. So we chased that for about a year. Um, and they thought maybe it was absence-type seizures. So we chased that for about a year. Finally found out there was a complex migraine syndrome that was kind of a direct relation to that stress and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So unfortunately, that I ended up with a medically restricted license, which is why I had to step back from the bedside. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, you know, one, I had an RN license to fall back on. And two, I'd had that CRNA experience um, with the office-based setting going in and right. setting up those facilities. So... So it kind of just, you know, when one door closed, another door opened, and yeah. it actually Sounds like somebody else has been great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so as we're talking about today, you know, what ownership and leadership opportunities do you see out there right now for CRNAs? Because, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of times CRNAs think, you know, they're either going to be a W-2 employee at a hospital or a group, or they're going to go 1099 and maybe do their own little thing. But this is a completely different path that we're mm-hmm. talking about now. And one, I don't think it's talked about enough. Yeah. Um, and, and two, I don't think CRNAs understand it. I think you're right. You know, it's it's amazing how many opportunities. I think we get so dialed in, so focused on the anesthesia side of things, that we don't realize how many options are out there. Uh, you know, I mentioned when I was in Michigan, part of the reason I got the, the experience that I did was at this little tiny hospital in the middle of nowhere, the CEO of the hospital was a CRNA, mm-hmm. Bob Burnett. And so, you know, he took me under his wing and taught me everything he knew about business, which has led to where I'm at now. So I owe yeah. him a big debt of gratitude for that. And I think a lot of times we just don't realize that we get so, especially in some of the, uh, um, you know, the ACT type uh, environments, we just get so focused on clock in, clock out, go home. That we don't realize what other opportunities are there. But, Honestly, nationwide, as I work with CRNAs, it's amazing all the opportunities that are out there. Um, everything from, you know, obviously aesthetics, ketamine clinics. I work with a lot of those people, infusion clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with a CRNA out of Alaska who had a mobile infusion center, you know. Mm-hmm. Worked with another one in North Carolina, actually, mm-hmm. who uh, had a spring break, you know, mobile infusion center. Go to the beach. Huh. All wow. these people that are hungover and sunburned and dehydrated. Wow. Toss in an IV, you know. So there's lots of different things. Um, huh. And then, you know, from the admin side of things. There you go. You've got the, uh, you know, obviously, the Bob was a, a hospital CRNA, or excuse me, CEO. I own and direct a, a surgery center. All kinds of office-based practices available. I, quite honestly, have been asked three or four times by healthcare organizations to consider coming on as the CNO of the hospital. 
you know, and so that's something that we've, I've kind of wandered down that route a little ways, but not the, you know, to the, to the end of it. But that's something else that, you know, when you start looking at it and some of those positions, uh, as far as income and things like that, it's pretty comparable. You know, yeah. it's something that really, honestly, I wish we had more CRNAs in leadership positions because there's physicians are, are in a group and nurses are in a group and CRNAs make the perfect bridge between those groups. Mm-hmm. You know, they really do. At, you know, in running my facility, that's something that I've found is that I have a unique ability to act as that go between between the my, my physician uh, partners uh, that are co-shareholders with me and my staff who are responding to those physicians. And it's, it's interesting there. And, you know, again, within the, uh, the consulting firm as well, mm-hmm. same thing. You know, I'm in a very unique position where as a distributor and a practitioner and a business owner, I get to see all three sides of this pyramid, of this triangle, excuse me. And uh, it, it's unique. You know, I think CRNAs are really uniquely positioned to make a huge difference in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, CRNAs, it's time to simplify your continuing education. Welcome to CRNAeducation.com, your trusted provider for CPC core modules and a plethora of Class A CE credits. You can explore 43 detailed articles covering various anesthesia topics, all from your favorite device, anytime, anywhere. And with over 40 pharmacology CE credits, meet your state board requirements effortlessly. Whether you need a few credits or everything to recertify, we have what you need. Just complete your credits online without any subscriptions or recurring charges. You can trust in our 100% CRNA-owned platform, established in 2011, ensuring you receive the best in customer service and educational content. Ready to learn? Go to crnaeducation.com, making continuing education easy and accessible. And don't forget that support is always a quick email or a text or phone call away. To sign up and learn more, just go to crnaeducation.com. So you have several ASCs that you own or run. What are the big, biggest challenges you see facing these surgery centers now? You know, right now, that's a great question. One of the really big things right now is just that um, the cost associated with running a uh, surgery center went up so much due to the pandemic that it, you just have to run really, really lean. The what, were, what was the number one reason the cost went up? Is it usually it's staffing? You know, actually, it's interesting. Staffing was, so staffing definitely went up. I would say my staffing costs went up by anywhere from 30 to 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, across the board, including anesthesia, wow. actually. Sure. And that's, um, actually, that's something I kind of want to hit on, kind of circle back to with the anesthesia. Um, but the uh, um, the other thing was the supply chain. I mean, it really yeah, just skyrocketed. Right. It, it did. was painful. Well, that makes sense. So, so now that, that, that multifactorial plus, we had the drop off in um, caseload. Caseload. We had a lot of more people that were previously insured that were suddenly not. expanded to Medicare or not insured. And so it really, there were, it was multifactorial. It was a perfect storm. It was really, really mm-hmm. difficult there. And uh, honestly, kind of circling back to the anesthesia side of things, I lecture quite a bit. And a lot of times it's about us and not, we just don't understand what our true value is. You know, I, I really find that when I talk to CRNAs, we either drastically undervalue uh, ourselves or we grossly overestimate what our revenue generation is. Sounds like so. estimating blood loss. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fully saturated, half saturated? It sounds like estimated taxes. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was trying to fill a position in my uh, my facility, 
And uh, I had seen, again, you know, we're a smaller, essentially cosmetic facility. And really the revenue generated by a CRNA is somewhere in the neighborhood of about $1,500. You know, somewhere between twelve dollars and $1,600 a day is really with the insurances as long as we have a nice full day, which CRNA will generate in my facility. And, uh, you know, I had people reaching out to me wanting four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand $450,000 a year to even consider it. And yeah. at that price point, I'd be supplementing their salary by somewhere mm. between one hundred fifty dollars to 200000 a year. You know, it's yeah. just... And it's not sustainable where we were already expensive. So it was interesting to see, um, you know, as I've talked with colleagues and worked in different facilities, physician anesthesiologists, because of their cost, have really cost prohibited themselves in these facilities. Like facilities just can't afford to, if they are going to hire one, they can't, you know, they have to supplement their income with the facility fees. And I, I fear that as CRNAs, we're starting to, to push that point as well. Sounds, so you are saying... Jeremy's tune, and he yeah. has talked about that repeatedly. Yeah. That we're we're kind of reaching that price point. Yeah, I mean, and some CRNAs will push back on that for sure because you know anesthesiologists do make more. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've heard the argument that we're doing the exact same thing as the anesthesiologists. We should make the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you pay for that? Yeah. That's that's where the problem. Comes well, in. and I honestly would argue that the opposite way. That you're right. They're doing the exact same job as us. So realistically, in a sustainable healthcare market, they, they should be paid as us. Yeah, yeah, yep. not mm. necessarily. You know, yeah, and so, yeah, you know, for it to be sustainable, there will have to be a change there. And yeah. I, I think you see that. I, at least I do in the smaller facilities. I'm seeing that sweepingly across the nation. The things really are kind of going that route. That you know, yeah. the economy is going to drive everything eventually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, an economy is a scale, and mm-hmm. you know, everything everything kind of rolls downhill for sure. So, so what role do you see CRNAs having moving forward here? You know, I think especially in the ASC and the, the office-based uh, facility, that's one of the things I really try to help people understand is that they have possibly the most important role. You know, in a in a surgery center, the smaller ones, you can kind of get lost like you do in a hospital. I mean, in a hospital, really, honestly, there's a whole lot of bureaucracy at the top that we kind of just get swept out and we can just do our job and just scoot through. In an ASC, you can do that a little bit, but there's so many important pieces that you're part of, you know, making sure that patients are adequately screened before they come in, you know, going through that day-to-day operation, making sure that people are on task. I honestly, you know, as, as more and more places see that they can use the CRNA as a, uh, um, a facility director, I see that CRNA really being that go-between between the the physician shareholders, or even the private equity shareholders, and the staff, and you know, kind of relaying. We speak both languages, you know, if you will. Um, I used right. to joke as a nurse that I uh, yeah, I'm fluent in Spanish, right? So I translated Spanish and I translated doctor all day long. That's all <laughs> I ever did, yeah. right? So you know, helping people understand, and and we do, we we understand both those worlds, and so in the office based. We're critical. I mean, honestly, when you look at an office-based practice, office-based surgical practice, or like um, I'm starting to see a big uptick in single suite uh, office-based surgery centers. So meaning like a, a single room that's converted and up, up done to where you can do procedures in that room, especially cosmetics, a lot of that. In that particular setting, you have critical importance. You're the person who is needing to train that staff. Um, you know, I was, I was, we were joking earlier about, you know, I've done 20,000 oral uh, anesthetics or sedations for uh, oral surgery. Never once have we ever intubated a patient. Yeah. It's because our dental assistants are great, man. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Yes. And their training is so important. And we do, you know, the oral surgeon I work with um, is great. 
he works with me, he's 100% on board, whatever I suggest, and vice versa. You know, awesome team working together. And so we do, we spend a ton of time training and making sure that everybody's there. And then as the CRNA in those practices, you're the person that's gonna make sure that it's safe. You're gonna make sure that we're meeting all the minimum requirements, patients are adequately screened, that we're not doing cases that shouldn't be done there, that we are, you know, conserving our, our resources, making sure that it's still viable to do there. Like really, I see CRNAs as the glue that really kind of holds everything together in an office-based surgical practice. Yeah, that's funny. My wife is a CRNA as well, mm-hmm. and you know she works in a, a dental office, some doing 1099. And yeah, that's one of the things she says is uh, one of the dental assistants is extremely good, always has a great day with this person. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's you know, but there's a big difference if you don't, and you know, you feel like you get in trouble a little easier. Uh, don't have someone there who's good so yeah i think that is a key there so absolutely yeah so there's been a rapid expansion in outpatient anesthesia office-based practices i have worked i've worked in office-based practices for what 18 years something like that but uh, mine was out of a necessity also just Mm -hmm. like yours because i was a leader in my state Mm -hmm. i kept um the anesthesiologist from getting physician supervision put into law. So my picture was on the home page of their website. And then I went on to become an AANA president and I couldn't get a job in a hospital. Mm -hmm. So I had to do office-based practices. Luckily, I went to work for a CRNA-owned company and they kind of protected me by doing that. But I've seen over the years that these practices seem to be increasing in their numbers you care to elaborate on that yeah no absolutely I, and you know i i don't want this to sound crass but my business um grew substantially because of the pandemic and to explain that what happened is a lot of the non-essential uh surgeons uh you know quote unquote non-essential surgeons were pushed out by hospitals so your cosmetic surgeons pediatric dentists podiatrists uh, across the board kind of those those that aren't spine, cardiovascular, neuro that aren't generating big money, that aren't glamorous, they kind of got pushed out. They said, sorry, we're, you know, we've only got so much OR time, you know, we're restricted for whatever reason. Good luck. And so, uh, you know, this, just for a perfect example, I worked um, in Australia earlier this year. I went down there and uh, did a couple things, did a survey for Quade and then helped another facility get set up. The physician down there was a very, very prominent plastic surgeon. Uh, you know, he's the guy who, if there is a Australian celebrity who's had something to kind of age gracefully. He's the one helping him age gracefully, right? Yeah. So uh, they came in and the government basically chained, literally chained his doors shut for six months. Padlock. He could not access his building because they wanted to ensure that he wasn't doing surgery. Next six months, they let him open his doors to see patients, but he couldn't do surgery. And so he came to me and said, hey, look, I just about lost my practice over this last 12 months. You know, the, the next six months, he kind of hurried and tried to ease back in and, and was able to save his practice. But he'd been planning on retiring. He goes, this sent me back five years, at oh, least, wow. financially. And so, um, I mean, that's a pretty extreme. Australia kind of took it to the extreme. But uh, here in the States, we saw the same thing happening. And so from 2020 forward, uh, I've just seen exponential growth of these people reaching out and saying, hey, I don't ever want to be beholding to a hospital again to where I want to control my own fate. I want to be right. able to book my own cases. I want to be able to have my own stuff. And well, so, they'll be, they're COVID-proof. 
little yeah. bit more COVID yeah. rates. Yeah, that's true. Well, and it's, you know, there's a lot of advantages. One, it's so much less expensive for patients. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, right. I, a lot of people don't understand how billing <laughs> works and how CPT codes work. But if you're an independent standalone surgery center, whatever the CPT code is for that surgery, that's your cap. I mean, that's what you make. Right. Versus if you're a hospital outpatient department or if you're in the hospital, that's your base. And then you grow from there. Right. And so, one, it's tough for us because we have to be lean. We have to work really hard. But two, for a patient, I mean, we're the same procedure. Um, just had a patient come in that needed a podiatry procedure. Um, patient's parent was at one of the local hospitals. Got a 50% discount at the local hospital because of, you know, their agreement there. So they can cost compared. Uh, it was $10,000 with that 50% off discount at the local hospital. The same procedure at my facility was $3,000. So exact same thing, just different. So, you know, for patients, it's better. And then when you look at, um, infection rates, outpatient versus hospital, always better. Mm -hmm. Patient satisfaction scores, outpatient versus hospital, almost always better. Just overall, you know, scheduling, ease of scheduling, things like that. Overall, they just really like it. And then you get into some of these really niche things. So, for example, I live in the highest population of malignant hyperthermia in the world. Okay. Um, My valley that I live in was one of the original founders was MH positive. And so we do somewhere in the neighborhood of like one to three MH cases a week. Wow. So a significant amount. And so all of my offices that I set up are trigger-free offices. And what I mean by trigger-free is no gas, mm-hmm. no sucks, no choline. We use rocuronium and uh, Sugamidex as a backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, we've now eliminated any possible MH trigger. And so it's safer for those patients to have surgery with us, you know, obviously depending on the, the case. Right. But it's safer for them to have surgery with us in the office-based practice than it is to go to the hospital because there's no risk of accidental uh, airborne exposure to anesthesia gases or anything. That. So anyway, just lots of different interesting advantages that are, are really coming to the forefront. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. What advice would you give to new CRNAs and, and SRNAs? Honestly, I would, a couple pieces of advice. One, I would say find what you love. You know, go out there and figure out what you really like. I... Originally, as I was coming out, I was offered a, a position on the heart team. And, you know, my ego just swelled my head. <laughs> through the door. I'm like, Because I was one of the first um, students to be offered a position on the heart team, you know, as I was coming out with. And this is, again, with the University of Michigan Health System and some different things there. And then uh, one of the CRNAs grabbed me and uh, he goes, hey, congratulations. It's pretty cool. He's like, are you sure this is what you want? I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is what I want. And he goes, well, just for what it's worth, I do knee scopes all day long. I get paid the same thing you do. Oh, good point, man. Really good point. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but some people just love that, you know, yeah. I mean, no yeah. knock on yes. those guys. So that would be one, one, find, find what you love Two, um, don't chase the money. If all you're doing is chasing jobs based on the money, you're going to be unhappy the whole time. Um, I've got a CRNA that has uh, been a client off and on who's on like his seventh or eighth job in four years out of school because he just hops and hops and hops and hops. Wow. And unfortunately 
it's a small enough community that people start to realize what's happening and that's going to cause problems down the road for this person. Yep. You know, once the economy changes again a little bit, things get a little bit, um, you know, different. So that's the next one. The third one is, and this one's the hard one, know your limitations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's hard to say that. And yeah, and I don't mean like continue to be limited by your limitations. Just know what your limitations are. You know, right. when I talk to people about um, starting office-based practices and things, uh, I tell them, you know, hey, if you can't do blocks, probably office-based podiatry is not your thing. Okay. Right. And if you haven't done peds in four, five, ten years, probably pediatric dental is also not your thing. Your thing. Yes. You know? <laughs> so just and once you know your limitations, you don't have to settle for those limitations. If you know that you're not great at blocks, go find one of these great CRNA-owned companies. Go, you know, get some block training with yeah. Maverick or with uh, Twin Oaks or with somebody. You know, go right. go find some of those. So, right. yep. Or download Block Buddy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> block Buddy. There you go. Absolutely. We've been doing some prognosticating in this room we have, with yes. uh, podcasts um, today. But what do you see as a solution to the current healthcare crisis? Mm, honestly, I, I think a big part, well, okay, I've got a long answer for this one. But the short answer is we need to, one, reform a lot. So there, mm-hmm. obviously it's broken and it needs to change. Um, two, within the healthcare system itself, we need to streamline better. There's a lot of waste. Oh, and so, good um, Lord, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Uh, just using my, my facility for an example, you know, as, as staffing costs came up, as, um, supply costs went astronomically high, Yeah, we had to figure out what to do. Plus I had, you know, physicians who were gone and I still have the, the staff members who are, you know, the single parent who, when our doctor leaves for a week, they can't just not have a salary for a week. Right. So they need something. So our solution was cross-training and uh, not only cross-training, but networking. So um, I'm the, the incoming president of the Idaho Inventory Surgery Center Association. And uh, one of the things that we've done is kind of identify networking opportunities. So in my small city in Idaho Falls, Idaho, we reached out to four or five different other independent small surgery centers. And uh, we actually kind of almost worked like a healthcare system. So mm-hmm. oftentimes I'd get a phone call and say, hey, you know, the eye center would call me, Hey, I were short a person. They've got COVID. We can't have them in for two weeks. Do you have any staff that, and I'll look at my schedule and go, Hey, I was gonna have to low census somebody. So I'd reach out to my staff members and say, Hey, do any of you RNs want to go cover the eye center? We'll cross train you. And so what they do is essentially rent a nurse from huh. us. We'd still pay the nurse out of our, our system, right. but they'd go on a rental type basis over there. It worked out great. You know, oh, it worked out really yeah. well for everybody involved. And so finding areas to network, my overall solution, and this is a little bit based on the uh, the Australian healthcare system. I've actually been talking about this for about five or six years. I really think we almost need a two-tiered system in the United States to where we have the basic, basic health necessities covered as kind of a universal right. And I know my right-wing friends are going to be mad at me because I'm going <laughs> too far left. And my left-wing friends are going to be mad at me because I haven't gone far enough left. But... I see it as being, you know, if you want to get through med school, if you want to go through anesthesia school, whatever it happens to be, and you want to have your loans paid off, great. Go work at one of these government facilities that will then, you know, set up the safety network to where, um, you know, when I was in Australia uh, working with this group, my parents actually came down and my mom got very sick. She ended up going in Takasubo's heart failure and ended up in the ICU for three weeks. Jeez. And uh, it was interesting to see how, had she been an Australian citizen, that life-sustaining care would have been covered by the government. 
But instead, she had to rely on her health insurance, which maxed out at, I think it was $50,000. And so she was left with an $80,000 bill after the fact that she now has to pick up. And so I look at that and I go, okay, it would be nice to have those basic, you know, the life-saving covered. And if, you know, staff that control costs by having, you know, student loan payback, things like that, based on working a number of years in these facilities. Then on top of that, to prevent the issues you see in Canada, where you've got, you know, a three to five year backlog for a total joint or something like that, um, set up the privatized system as well. That if you want to have the option to go in and kind of like pull a Disney, right? Fast pass the line. Mm-hmm. If you want to fast pass your, your total knee, you have to purchase private yep. healthcare and have that as the second tier. So in my narrow scope, I see that as the, the potential um, way to correct the system, is to have a two-tiered system. I think they do that in the UK. I believe they have mm-hmm. a two-tiered system over there as well. And, you know, Basically, the way it works out is the people that have a lot of money are able to, to fast pass, mm-hmm. and the people that don't just get basic care. So there is some moral argument around that as well over there. So it's such a complicated you know, situation, especially in the U.S. I mean, it's you're, you're right. I mean, the right believes one way, the left believes another. And how do you mesh the two when you're divided 50-50 basically right now? So I think, honestly, one of the big things is we just have to understand the fact that the word fair does not exist. That there's no such thing as fair. And so it just, we'll have to understand that, you know, what's fair to one group? Like, is it not fair because somebody can pay for their surgery that the other person has to wait? Or right. is it not fair that the person has to wait even though they could have paid for their surgery? You right. know, there, there's no such thing as fair and equitable. And right. we just have to wrap our brains around that. Very true. Very well, true. have you ever read The Social Transformation of Medicine? I haven't. Uh-uh. Read that. Okay. And you'll see how we came to get the system that we currently have. It's pretty eye-opening. Not, uh, uh, but not surprising at the end of the day. Hmm. So take a take. It has a to have something to do with money. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get I, you know, overall I, I tell you, you uh, every answer to everything, ultimately, and people don't want to believe this, but ultimately, yeah. it comes back to the dollar mm-hmm. and money. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's in everything. What what you is know? it you say? The answer's money. What was the question? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what has been your one of your biggest challenges as a surgery center director slash owner? You know that you you'd put out there, and gosh, this has just been a big issue for me. You know, it's interesting. Like we've talked about the obviously, like you said, everything comes back to money. So right. that that has right. been a big issue. Um, we've talked about that one. You know, the the one that sometimes gets overlooked that I've I guess maybe I didn't appreciate fully until I became a director was um, the real struggle that there is with the interpersonal relationships there. Um, mm-hmm. My, we've got a, we've got a kind of a saying at my place that there's no such thing as it's not my job, mm. and that it's that's a, a it's Disney a concept. It is it, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's and it's it's really a problem, and it's um, generational for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a lot of <laughs> a lot of my um, my staff retention problems, 100 percent relate back to that to the um, the way that different generations view mm-hmm. what Work. their job is. Well, not just... And work in general. Yeah, work in general, but not... And I don't want to even, like, single out one generation versus another generation. Because on the flip side, I mean, like, look at me. I I worked myself into a heart attack. Yeah. That's not healthy. That's not sustainable either. But on the flip side, I've, you know, got the others that are saying, I've I've already been here for 30 hours, and that's all that's really required for my health care. So I know I'm on the book for 36, but I'm going to scoot out. You know, you're like, 
I, I literally had a staff member step over a bag of garbage because she didn't want to take it out because that wasn't really her job. That was mm. housekeeping. So I'm like, wow. no, 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 that doesn't work. So that, honestly, interestingly enough, has been probably the, the most eye-opening thing as the director is seeing just that, that disconnect. You know Matt Zender, just off topic, but do you know who Matt Zender is? The CRNA. I, yeah. um, and it, it, it's, it's interesting listening to you talk because he, he talks about the same thing. And he um, he does hypnosis and a lot of things for CRNAs. He presents at a lot of conferences. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said to me, I said, man, how'd you get involved in this? He said, man, I was working so hard. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And he said I had to take a step back and he started practicing meditation and hypnosis and, and all these things and, and got his life back in order. And now he teaches other people how to do it. But it reminded me of uh, him when you, when you said that. So I'll digress for just a minute. I want to go back to something that we really didn't hit on. And, you know, when you're talking about these ASCs and surgery centers, you know, and, and I have no idea about this, but what... What are the margins in those facilities? I mean, uh, overall, if you've got an ASC, are you running a 2% margin there? Or is it on average, uh, or is it all over the board that it's just not something you can quantify unless it's specific? No, that's actually a great question. And um, the answer is it's very, very specialty specific. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's the big thing. So, I mean, plastics, for example. Yep. You know, most of the plastics physicians make their money off of their professional fees. Right. And so if they're the ones that own, like like mine, for example, if they own the surgery center, they're going to set their fees to be basically break even. And so my margins on my plastics cases in my facility, which make about 50%, are um, maybe 1% or 2%, okay. if that. Okay. Um, versus podiatry, you know, we're looking at, um, oh, gall, almost a lapoplasty, for example, is a bunion correction, right? It's mm-hmm. a specific bunion correction. Medicare will pay almost $8,000 to the facility for that case. So um, the hardware has to come out of that. So you're right. looking at like $3,000, $4,000 for hardware. Um, and then obviously staffing and things like that. It's about $1,000 an hour to, to staff a surgery center. Yeah. And so when you consider that case, takes about an hour and a half plus another hour in recovery. So three hours. Um, so you're looking at about... Three thousand, six, two, yeah, two thousand, so two to three thousand dollar, the twenty five percent margin ish. So yeah. not not too bad at all, yeah. actually. Um, you jump that up into orthopedics, total joints. You're looking at huge. I mean, you know, you get a fast surgeon that can do skin to skin in under an hour on a total knee. You're looking at probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollar profit. Wow. In a case, wow. and so um, that's actually what I'm seeing a lot of on the forefront is um, the orthopedics. And then also we're seeing a lot of vascular and spine coming up, uh, especially for whatever reason out of Texas. I've gotten a lot of requests out of Texas for help yeah, there. Interesting. But, um, you know, outpatient, a lot of interesting outpatient scary stuff. <laughs> so yeah. outpatient tavers. You know, I've heard I mean, of that. It's it's a real deal. Um, it's interesting when you look at that after, uh, I mean, you think back when, when we were doing hearts, uh, you know, we're a little bit more seasoned CRNAs than some of the others. But when we're doing an open heart, it was, if we're doing a valve, you're cracking the chest, you're flaying the heart. I mean, that was the big, those are the big scaries when we were going through those. And now we're doing an outpatient trans femoral. You know, it's crazy, mm-hmm. crazy to me. Wow. So, um, but yeah, I'm seeing a big uptick in those. Of course, I remember the first laparoscopic gallbladder that I ever saw. <laughs> you were amazed, weren't you? You were like, wow. Yeah, yeah it yeah. took four hours. <laughs> yeah. And well, now and they can do them in 40 minutes. There's another example, minutes. you know, you bring up uh, gallbladders. That's something that CMS all of a sudden, for no reason, 
pulled out of ambulatory surgery centers. That was on the list of 255 that they pulled. So, I mean, just about anything intra-abdominal, you can't do in a surgery center anymore. In an outpatient, HOPDs, you still can. And so that's, going back to the bottom dollar, yeah. that's the uh, the American Hospital Association did a much better job of uh, they, they lobbied, lobbied a better. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is a scary part, too, about opening one of these standalone centers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know what could get pulled away from you yeah. at, at, at any time well, or what the payers are going to do. Yeah, perfect yeah. example right there. I mean, you bring up a really good point. We had a very robust program. We had just, you know, I, I was in the growth phase, you know, recruiting physicians and things. And so we just recruited a couple of OBGYNs who were going to start working with us. We got all the equipment, got everything together. And we had again, a big breast reconstruction program. So we had plastic surgeons and general surgeons who were, you know, let's bring these people in. Now that we've got, you know, ultrasound guided blocks and things like that, the pain associated with these things wasn't anything more than possibly like a breast reduction, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'd do a same day reconstruction. These women were very, very happy about the fact that I came in, you took my tumors out, and I still came back feeling like me, you know, I, I didn't have that change in identity. Um, so we're, we're building this program, we're growing this program, we've got all this equipment, and literally two months after we build up this program, gone. CMS wow. just says, yeah. and there was no rationale behind it, there was nothing. It was just, here's the 255 procedures that we're pulling off the list. So, wow. That's, so you, you bring up a very valid point. That yeah. The COVID is another one. You Absolutely. Austin shows up and we're closed. Yep. So, yep. Well, you know, as the incoming chair of the ANA Dental Panel, what do you see as kind of the role and future of CRNAs in, in dental anesthesia? So I, I will say this, and uh, um, I'm very, very adamant, very passionate about this. One death in the dental office is too many. There are so many that we look back at, and uh, it frustrates me to no end. Um, I believe it was called Jeremy's Law in California. They tried to pass that the, the uh, ADA went in and shut down. It was basically all it was was just requiring that somebody else be there present that can do the sedation, that can make sure that patient's safe. And the bribery and the lobbying happened sufficiently yep. to prevent that from happening. And so that's my thing is I really, I really feel adamantly that there should never be another death. Um, we were just discussing earlier, you know, there was a death, a physician that died in North Carolina mm-hmm. in yes. the dental chair. Why that doesn't bring that even more to the attention of, of the U.S., I don't know. But but that's the thing. is I, I see us being the, the solution. It's I, I understand why they didn't want to be bringing maybe physician anesthesiologists at the rates that right. they, they cost. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely. made it not feasible to do dental dental with anesthesia. We are a more economic option. We, um, we fall into those rates. I don't see a good reason that you wouldn't have a dedicated anesthesia provider if you're going to do sedation in the office. And I am seeing a ton of sedation spikes as far as people that normally wouldn't have needed sedation. I mean, I'm getting requests from orthodontists. Hey, I've got kids that can't let me put on their braces. They won't hold still. Can you come sedate them for orthodontia in the office? Hmm. I mean, totally non-invasive. It's kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, I know it just hit the national media that there was a, a rapper, I can't remember who off the top of my head, had sedation for a full body tattoo, right? You know, so I mean, another forefront there that we're sedating wow. and things like that. So I think the tolerance for dealing with uncomfortable situations has decreased enough. That's a very tactful way of putting <laughs> we've become a wimpy society. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Wow. But yeah, so I just, I see the, the opportunity for bad things to happen growing unless we step in and do something. And so that's yeah. our push. Um, all of us on the dental panel are very much... Uh, 
wanting to see more anesthesia providers dedicated to the anesthesia in the dental office yeah. and, and just to reduce that risk. There, one more death is one too many. Well, you know, it goes back to, again, you know, I hate to keep coming back to this, but, you know, if the, if the dental does, the, the dentist does the sedation, he puts that money in his pocket and, mm-hmm. or her pocket. Um, if the CRNA does, then obviously there's an outflow there. So uh, all that comes back to money again, which is why the ADA fights against this, you know, tooth and nail as well. So Can I, can I run down that route for just sure. a minute? So it's an interesting fallacy there, honestly, um, in that dentists think that by bringing us on, they're going to lose money. And so this is something that I've been fighting for the last eight years and helping, helping dentists and oral surgeons kind of grasp. And it's been one of the most successful things that I've had the opportunity to do as a consultant. But um, just to use an anecdotal um, story, the, I've got an oral surgeon I work with who was grossing about 800000 kind of a smaller practice. Okay, Stepped in, started doing some work with them, rearranged how we did their scheduling. By adding that layer of safety, it gave him the comfort level to move a little bit quicker. Oh, we were able to bring in more cases. So that first year that I was on board, we went from eight hundred to $1.2 million. Wow. Okay. And so even though he was paying me, the gross went up. The next year we went up to 1.4 million. The next year we dropped his least profitable part of his practice. We cut back one day to where he was four days instead of five days a week. And we stayed at that 1.4 million gross. Wow. So that's the trend that I see across the board. And as the, again, this goes back to us having to not overvalue ourselves. Right. But I look at it as if I was in the hospital, I'm going to make X number of dollars working that day at the hospital. So what's my time worth to leave the hospital to go somewhere else, work somewhere else? Um, Oftentimes that number is less than what's possibly generated. And so as I lecture and talk to people about how to bill for these things, I try to help CRNAs understand that, hey, look, if you still set your price to where it's worth your time to go out, you don't have to get that top dollar. And so what'll happen lots of times is if you say, hey, look, and this is a much easier way to get reimbursed too, but you set up almost kind of like a um, facility type model of uh, uh, getting paid. So with dental insurance, most of the times we get denied anyway. Okay, we're not gonna get reimbursed by the dental insurance. The dentist, however, gets reimbursed. Usually like $600 for a case, right? Mm. So, you know, oral surgery, let's say we're doing four sets of wisdom teeth in an hour, 400 bucks each hour, just throw out some numbers. If the CRNA sets their rates to where they are realistic, then that dentist is still going to generate some revenue because they're and it's justifiable they're going to collect the money they're going to pay the crna crna gets paid they make more than they would have in the hospital dentist still gets paid and he adds volume now all of a sudden not only are you generating a little bit from the anesthesia but now you're adding one two three four more cases to the day which is those professional fees where it really comes from right every office that i've been to so far that i've set up a crna as the anesthesia provider with the dentist has generated more revenue even after, so more net revenue afterwards than they were prior to having a CRNA involved. Wow. And so that, that's why I say it's a big fallacy that I'm really trying hard to correct. Well, yeah. that makes sense, though, now that you spell it out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we conclude here, Brett, anything you want to get across to our listeners that maybe we haven't discussed yet? or You know, I think the big thing is just, um, you know, we, we've kind of touched on a little bit of everything. But really, there's just so many opportunities out there. And we just really can't, we need to, one, understand our value. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We need to make sure that we're not undervaluing ourselves. And we need to make sure that we're not pricing ourselves out of competition. Right. And so, I mean, really, 
just be be smart about it. You know, it's any any free market system is going to be based on, uh, on on those principles. Yeah. And so, so that's the biggest thing. And then two, don't you know, be a yes man. I mean, that was it can go a little bit too far. But if the opportunity presents itself, you know, you're at your dentist getting a cleaning. Hey, you're CRNA. Have you ever thought about doing sedation for me? Yeah, yeah, I have. Let's talk. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you're. I was joking. I've had all kinds of interesting situations where it's, you know, somebody at church, somebody that coached your kids, somebody that, you yeah. know, something like that, all the way to, I actually had somebody reach out to me who, she goes, it was really uncomfortable. I was there with my OBGYN and he starts oh, asking boy. about, have you ever thought about doing a station? <laughs> well, I said, funny. yeah, I wish I was sedated right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's the big thing is just don't ever, don't ever close a door. You know, yeah. keep the door open, explore it, at least wander down the path a little ways and see yeah. before closing that door. Absolutely. Well, Brett, we want to thank you for your time today. Thanks for being on the show. Great information and good luck in everything you're doing. And thank you for all you're doing for the CRNA community as well. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me today. Absolutely. Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. If listeners like our show and they want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us to grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We know there's way too much negativity in this yes, world. Yes, there is. Um, tell all your friends. Share us on social media. We grow by word of mouth. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number. Number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. We can't do it without our listeners. No, we can't. Until next time. It's a wrap. Attention all certified nurse anesthetists. Are you in need of a reliable and quality continuing education option? Well, look no further than crnaeducation.com. We are an NBCRNA recognized provider offering all four core CPC modules to meet your certification requirements. You can choose from more than 100 AANA prior approved Class A CE credits with 43 articles covering a wide range of anesthesia topics. Need pharmacology CE credits? Well, we've got you covered there as well with over 40 pharmacology CE credits available. All credits are completed online and are mobile-friendly. Choose articles worth one, two, or three credits. There's no subscriptions, no hidden fees, just the CE credits you need when you need them. Owned by CRNAs since 2011, you can trust in our commitment to your education. And customer service is always a quick email or phone call or even text away. To sign up and find out more about our education options, visit crnaeducation.com, your partner in continuing education. That's crnaeducation.com. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. 
Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.